The following podcast explores prevalent risks when working alone or in isolation on farms. Vanessa Hahn hosts a roundtable discussion with three other members of the regional WorkSafe team, Ian Dainty, Andy Abbey and Julie Gaunt. They cover the common hazards when working alone and how to mitigate the risks, particularly when farms and businesses have limited staffing capabilities. Hi, I'm Vanessa Hahn from WorkSafe and today I'm joined by Ian Dainty, Andy Abbey and Julie Gaunt from WorkSafe and we will be talking about where are you now, working alone or in isolation on farms. So um, Julie and Andy, you both have experience going out and inspecting farms and and obviously talking with farmers. Um, What are some of the biggest problems you've faced in terms of isolation? Definitely um, isolation is a big issue, especially if you've got multiple farms that people are working at. Mm -hmm. So they could be working quite some distance from the home farm, um, working on their own if their activity only requires one person. Or it can naturally be that when you're working alone, you might just be on the other side of a building, for example, working in a shearing shed, and you're out of general line of vision of people. And so therefore you can um, be at risk of injury and then no one knowing what's happened to you. Yeah. Andy, how about you? Yeah, I mean, it's not just line of vision. It's if if you get in trouble, Mm -hmm. if you have an incident and you call out for help and nobody can hear you, there's no one to come running to to help you. Yeah, and and I guess the problem we find is quite often farmers are, they're on their own, they don't have a large team with them. So what would be the workaround, things like that? Um, I think for me, it would be the consideration of a plan. Um, mm-hmm. If 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 working on your own is the only op- option that you've got, what is it that you can do to look after yourself? Um, what sort of things can you do to keep in communication? What sort of, for example, timings could you give somebody and and the locations that you're going to go to and explain it to them? Um, it could could be a simple way, and, and it's as simple as if if I don't come back at four o'clock, come and look for me. This is where I'm going to plan to be working. Through to more complex systems where you might um, employ the use of some sort of technology that actually tells other people where you are, and that if you don't come back at predetermined times, the system alarms or something like that. I don't really have any defined ideas on what it could be, other than it's it's something we certainly mm. need to talk about. The other thing that I think is quite important with that is that if you're doing it perhaps in a verbal method of saying, I'm going to be at X place for X amount of time, if you need to deviate from that, you actually come back to the place where somebody who knows where you are and you make that change then and then you go out and do the next task so that, again, somebody knows where you are at all times. I know, you know, sitting here, it, it sounds very easy to say that, but there these are sort of what we're looking for really are are practical solutions to mm. problems and and they are just it's it's check-ins isn't it it's what you would do in everyday life anyway if you're going on holiday if you're going out somewhere you'd check in with somebody to say yes i've arrived safely working and working alone is very similar you're checking in and yeah. if the person doesn't check in yeah, that's right. Yeah. I mean, the procedures that you can put in place don't have to be overly complicated. They don't mm. have to be ex- expensive. They just need to be straightforward and everybody needs to understand them and follow them. Uh, I think, uh, you know, I'm obviously from the UK and um, 
one of the things I realised when I came to Australia is, you know, the environment out there is, can be, uh, if you get into trouble, mm. it can, you can get into serious trouble quite quickly because the environment can be quite harsh, you know, with the temperatures and that sort of thing. Those sort of problems you wouldn't really have in the UK, you know, you can walk to a farm, you can walk to a road, you could probably even walk to a phone box, or I'm not quite sure whether they have those anymore. Um, but if you're on an Australian farm, um, you know, we're talking some quite big distances between um, roads and houses and civilization, and you can get into trouble quite quickly. So it's important that, that people know where you are and that you've just got some straightforward procedures as a minimum mm. in um, sort of dealing with working alone. And, and from a WorkSafe point of view, though, would it be advisable to have these as written procedures or, or verbal? Definitely a written procedure yeah. in this environment, I would highly recommend. I like to start, Vanessa, at the point of what is the actual task that the person is mm. doing? And let's mm. reduce the risk of the likelihood of an injury happening while they're doing that task. For example, if they're using PPE, is it the correct type? If they're doing an activity where they're working at some form of height, like going up a windmill, for example, how can we reduce the likelihood of them having an incident in the first place? Mm. I then like to think about the capabilities of the worker. Have they been trained appropriately to do that type of work? Do they have um, the skills that if something isn't quite right, that they know how to work through that type of um, issue? And then I look at how will they travel to and from that site? Are they going there on a, on a motorbike, for example, or a quad bike? Is there a safer way for them to travel to and from where there's less risk of injury? And then um, I like to move on to communication. What communication is available for them should they require help? And um, I generally recommend to farmers to have at least two forms of communication. So maybe they have a mobile phone, but where reception drops out, as it often does out in the regions, then using a, a radio might be an alternative. Um, from there, what first aid do they have with them? What knowledge? So if they do end up with an injury, how can they manage that in the first instance while they're waiting for help to arrive? And then really just generalised training in regards to um, making sure they understand the requirement to keep that communication going. So if there are changes, the job's taking longer or they move on faster and go off and do something else, then that communication is an ongoing thing so that there's never any chance of someone going, oh, I thought he called you or mm. I thought he was going to call in an hour. Um, and that tends to narrow down those um, dangers of working alone. Yeah. Um, what I found was, you know, and, and, and this is where I, I much prefer written procedures because when something does go wrong, you don't necessarily know how people are going to react in that situation. Some people may stay calm, others will just panic. Um, whereas if you've got this plan that's written down, you know exactly, even if you're in panic mode, here's a step-by-step -step instructions in terms of what needs to be done. Um, that's where I come from in terms of, um, trying to stay calm and just having a plan in place. Absolutely. I think as well, if, if opportunity allows, um, can you practice the plan? Mm. If you can practice the plan, then that, you know, not that practice makes perfect, but it would help people to understand. And practicing that plan may also throw up other issues that you then need to consider to, 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 to try and solve the issue. Again, I, another example I can think of whilst we talk about having perhaps mobile telephones or some sort of radio communication system. Um, I, I'm aware of examples where it's important that the individual 
actually keeps that communication device on themselves and not in the cab of the vehicle because if an incident occurs when you're away from the vehicle then you know if you can't get back to the vehicle then obviously it's a useless piece of, of equipment um, but again if we can practice and run through these things those are issues that are highlighted and practically forgetting something in a practice situation is 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 the prompt to do it for real because you can recall the incident mm. um, and oh, hopefully the situation won't occur but if the situation does occur um, then again as well as having those written procedures to read from you've got the practice in your mind that um, should hopefully work and, and and see you go home safely at the end of the day yeah, yeah i think that's a good point you're making there and i think as inspectors we all hear about the worst case scenario we hear about these incidents that happen where workers get injured and they're not seriously injured or they're, they're seriously injured but they're unable to reach their their means of communication and nobody knows that where they are uh, or when they're expected back and uh, although they're injured at the time they, they end up becoming a fatality because they they don't receive any help or any assistance. Yes, we certainly had some cases um, in the last couple of years where that's um, that has been an outcome where people have been trapped within machinery and um, or in vehicle rollovers and uh, been unable to get the help that they needed, mm-hmm. um, which is quite heartbreaking, really. So it is good to have those plans, and I, I definitely agree with you, Vanessa, that having those plans documented and working through them so people understand how they work. Um, is imperative in this um, environment now. I think also as well, if you, uh, and, and again, we're, I'm very aware that we're in a position where, you know, getting a labour force to go to the regions is incredibly difficult in the sort of post-pandemic time. But again, if you get new people coming in, you know, be that backpackers, be that casual labour, if you've got something written down, they can also follow it and it's it's part of a procedure that they would need to know about. So it would you know, be some sort of induction system mm. um, that tells them what to do in the event of an emergency. Yeah, because mm. you've got to remember some of these backpackers coming in, they wouldn't be used to the conditions that we have out in Australia. You know, they might be from Europe where it's very, very different. And some of them wouldn't have even worked on farms before. Yeah. Yes, it's um, sometimes quite a, a harsh environment out there with... Um, elements of heat and cold that they might not be used to and that can impact on their ability to work for a number of hours and um, when they're alone they can go downhill quite quickly if they um, are suffering for example from dehydration or heat exhaustion so those are the types of things that farmers really need to consider when they're sending a workforce away to work alone. Yeah Yeah, I agree and again we're partly here we're talking about injury but what if that working alone or in that isolated is is simply driving from one part of a property to another part of a property and you have a vehicle breakdown, what equipment have you got in a vehicle that can, um, you know, sustain you? Is is there a supply of water? Is there some basic food? Is there something that can at least keep you out of the sun? Um, so that, again, when somebody comes to find you, you're actually in a better physical condi- physical and mental mm. condition than you would have yeah, otherwise been. Yeah, we've all heard been. of the stories of people being stuck somewhere, they've taken a wrong turn or they've become bogged mm. yeah. and they don't know what to do with the equipment that they have available to them and they're not resourced well enough with water and shade mm-hmm. and the like. So good points, Ian. For oh, well, that. That, the general rule is, you know, and again, I couldn't say it, it 
it is the same for all situations, but the general rule is if you have a breakdown, stay with the vehicle because if somebody's looking for you, it's much easier to find a vehicle than it is to find an individual. Yes. Mm. Uh, and tragically, over the last three or four years, we've had a lot of instances where people have left that vehicle um, and, it, and you know, it's not been a successful outcome. Mm. Yeah. That's and of course, it sounds like stating the obvious, but as a person conducting a business undertaking, you need to make sure that equipment is maintained and... Uh, Obviously, vehicles are included in that. Um, you need to look after your equipment and make sure that it's not going to break down. That's correct. That is absolutely correct. A lot of these farm vehicles that we do see um, have had very basic maintenance or limited maintenance, um, and it just makes another layer of risk for the person who's operating that vehicle in that environment that um, if the vehicle has a failure, um, a tyre blowout, for example, or... Um, Tail, part, tail shaft falling off, which I've seen. Yeah, it can create another level of hazard for that person. So um, as Andy says, it's, it's well worth checking the maintenance of vehicles that people are required to use and also the type of terrain they'll be using them on. For example, if they're going somewhere on a quad bike, um, we like them to wear helmets. That's um, part of the legislation. The quad bar obviously will assist in the event of a rollover, but perhaps essentially there might be a better vehicle for them to use where they're less likely to be um, involved in a rollover incident. For example, they might take a ute instead. So essentially, uh, you know, aside from a communications plan, we're also talking about emergency preparedness and having a plan, and that links into having to so do a risk assessment. Yes, it understand is. new controls. Yes. Um, because working in isolation, there's a whole range of things to consider prior to even putting yourself in this situation where it's just you having to go out and harvest the fields, for instance, mm -hmm. right? That's right. And a lot of the work, um, you know, during harvest time, for example, um, people might be out there for 16 to 18 mm -hmm. hours in a day. Um, that's harvest. That's mm -hmm. what it takes often to get it in before the weather hits. Um, so we do have to have a consideration for the fact that we just don't leave people alone with no contact um, for 18 hours in a day. That's um, unreasonable and it's, it's certainly not a workable outcome if something does go wrong, especially if it went wrong early on in the day. In the new legislation, one of the terms that's more prevalent than previously is about what's reasonably practicable. Yeah. And I think the one thing is, I think, I feel that a lot of things that we're talking about here are all reasonably practical measures. Mm. It's not difficult to do. It's not unrealistic that you should be able to do it. Um, one of the things that I've often thought in my own mind is that, and I'm probably guilty of this and most of us are guilty of this, is that if it's only us, we will often take more of a risk or more of a chance, whether that's crossing the road or whatever. Um, if it's just us, we sometimes more prepared to take that risk. But if we had, you know, perhaps one of our children with us or a friend's child, we wouldn't take that risk quite so readily. We would wait for the traffic light to go green or something mm. like that. And that's the same thing I feel is that, you know, can you spend, you know, half an hour doing a bit of a, a pre-start or a pre-vehicle check on something you for yourself because I'm sure if you were going to let that vehicle be driven by somebody else you would want to make sure that it was good and safe and fit for use for them so why shouldn't you take that care yourself to make sure that it's good and fit for you um, so maybe one of the ways of thinking about it is this well if I wouldn't let somebody else drive it then why should I take mm. the risk and drive it isn't it interesting though we put such a low value on our lives um, versus if somebody else is with us but really at the end of the day we have to realize that you know especially if you're coming from the point of view of a farmer and you're the main person working those farms if something happens to you and you're not around 
to continue the work, well, what happens to your family? So we should place a higher value on our lives and on our safety more so than anyone else around us because then we begin to lead by example. If we can do this for us, then, you know, it automatically rolls into we'll be ensuring everyone else around us is safe. Yeah, I agree. I think if, if you take that idea of working on your own or isolation seriously, it, it will go across to other people mm-hmm. and they will understand that they are part of the solution to taking care yeah. of themselves when they're alone and out there. Yeah, and I think there's been a bit of a tradition really of being um, not so much gung-ho but being very self-reliant. Mm-hmm. So you have a worker, you rely on them to go and do a job and they'll do anything it takes to get that job achieved. And I think we need to just take that step back a little and make sure that in that effort to get mm-hmm. that job done that they are actually doing it safely and that there is a plan. Mm-hmm. Um, as I say, those long days can sometimes um, be quite fatiguing for people mm-hmm. and it can affect their judgement as to uh, what is actually a safe activity and what isn't. Absolutely. So that communication throughout their working day just helps to moderate that. I also think as well there's that element of time. So we're all probably you know, capable of going, you know, for the odd day to do a very long day. But what happens if that's repeated over two, three, four mm. days? And as that fatigue sets in, it you we may need sort of a, a gentle reminder or, or if, 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 if it's our other half telling us probably more than a gentle reminder about taking care of ourselves. Um, but certainly, you know, by day two, day three, day four, we might not be thinking as clearly and it becomes even more important at that point to fall back on those plans that we've got in place to to prevent an injury or an incident. Yeah, and also making sure people are prepared for the job that um, when they come to work that they are fit for the work that they do and there's been some level of preparation for things like hydration and rest before they actually start those long days. So um, the back-to-back work of moving from one farm to the other doing... um, the harvesting work, for example, um, there does need to be that moderation of how many hours have you had of rest between this farm and the last. It's human nature for us to want to, if we're solely responsible for something, to put ourselves in that situation where we just we can keep pushing and keep pushing ourselves to go longer and harder. But at the end of the day, it is so important that we dial it back down to realise that if we push hard now, we may not actually make it to the next harvest because we've gone too far and we've not really considered our safety. That's right. And what I often hear after there has been an incident is um, the the regret that people didn't Mm -hmm. take that time because obviously once something's happened, you can't backfill, you can't undo what's been done. And there's always that level of regret, which is a community regret really, because they all do the same um, type of work in that, you know, why didn't we just take a moment to think about how we do our work? So not only then is there a, a requirement for us to be responsible to ourselves, we need to be responsible to others that will take care of ourselves to make sure that we come home to them at the end of the day or the end of the shift or the end of the job. That's the take-home message, isn't it? Our responsibility, whilst we think in terms of our business and bringing in the money, we also have a responsibility to ensure that we're safe because there are people, we've got families relying on us to you know, want to see us at the end of the day. Mm. Um, As we've already mentioned, a lot of these things that you can put in place are very, they don't cost any money, they're very, they're just really a case of thinking the job through. But just just sort of thinking in terms of um, the forms of communication that you can use, um, with your experience, Julie, of visiting farms, what sort of good practices have you seen in terms of like um, different forms of communication? 
are definitely the combination of uh, radios, in-vehicle radios and handheld radios. So when you get out and move away from your vehicle, your radio is still with you. Um, mobile phones, um, although a lot of the farmers do say that they are a pain, when they're moderated, they can be extremely useful as well. Um, maps in, in vehicles is really important. So where are the areas of low reception? So that um, that helps people to realise that, okay, this is a place where I'm working, which a mobile phone won't work, so I will be relying on a radio. So um, I'll either make some communications before I get to that point and when I leave that point, or I'll know that in that space I can only use a radio. Um, oftentimes also having um, contact with neighbours as well. Yeah. So you might be at a remote um, part of the, your farm, but it's near the neighbour's um, homestead. So in that case, having their co- uh, contact details can be really helpful in the event of an incident yeah. because they're the nearest port of call. Okay. Do vehicles have trackers in them these days? Generally not in agriculture at this stage in WA. Some of the... Um, the corporatised farms um, are starting to move across, but in general, um, the family farms tend to not. Yeah, yeah, okay. Yep. Having said that, mobile phones often have the tracking devices within them, the locators, and it is um, it is available to locate people through that, but that's a time thing. We wouldn't like to rely on that just to work out where people are yeah. in the event of an incident. Yeah, what about satellite phones? Satellite phones I don't see a lot of. They're quite an expensive um, item. Yeah. to maintain um, and for people to use them on a regular basis. I guess if they were out in the further regions, they would be used to doing that. But for the average farmer who moves in and out of those zones where satellite phones are useful, um, if they're not using it all the time, it can be something that's difficult to remember how to use. Mm. Yeah, okay. Yeah. Is there anything else that we want to add to this topic? I think the thing is to not overcomplicate it, Vanessa, if you're getting into that space where you're starting to think about um, how you'll manage these risks in agriculture. Um, I like the the proviso of keep it simple. Mm -hmm. So starting that communication before the event, getting people's ideas of what they believe about, what is reasonable in the way of contact, and then working with them to put something into place that's meaningful to them because people will only maintain a system if it feels like it's something worthwhile. Mm, if it's adding value. Absolutely, yeah. 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 And yeah, maybe that first question is, well, before I go and do that job, how can I stay safe? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. We all want the same thing. We want people to go home at the end of the day. 